This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is The Property Show and I'm Mark Tan. In recent times, we have heard a lot of talk on green versus brown buildings. But what is a green building? Is it merely about the carbon footprint or is it about being environmentally responsible and resource efficient throughout a building's life cycle from planning to design, construction and all the way to demolition? Today, we have RSPKL, an award-winning multidisciplinary architectural firm that provides architectural, master and healthcare planning, interior and landscape design services. And we have architects Hood Baka and Roslan Raza in the studio with us to talk about all things green, brown, the Medica 118 Tower and the new EPF HQ. Good morning, Hood and Roslan. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Good morning Mark. Good morning. Now, between the two of you, there is a combined 60 over years of experience. And I'd like to start off by seeking your opinion on how feasible it is to design a sustainable building here in Malaysia today. Thank you, Mark. Well, feasibility of a building in sustainable building is a very hot topic nowadays. Everybody's talking about it in a sustainable building. But let's face it, to do a sustainable building, it does cost a little bit more in the, on the onset. However, in the long term, these uh, savings that you get in running the building, I think is going to pay off and it's very, very important for the building to do that. Plus also, I think it is actually also our responsibility to lessen our carbon footprint uh, in, in the building industry, especially because building industry is one of the major contributors for carbon footprints. So it is important. It does cost slightly more, but in the long run, it pays off. Actually, if you think about it, the concept of sustainable building or architecture is not something that's recent. If you look at our traditional houses or even the colonial buildings that have been built in Malaysia, we have addressed these tropical elements in our country to create a sustainable architecture. Of course, times change, buildings become complex, function increase, new technologies are employed in buildings. As architects, we are presented with more pallets of materials, technologies, and method of construction. The question is how to find the balance and together with understanding from the building owners, the stakeholders, sustainable buildings should benefit everybody and designing sustainable buildings is much feasible in this country, I think. Now, Hood, what should be the common principle or philosophy in designing sustainable buildings that should generally cut across all architects? I think we have to look at sustainable building in all angles. For us, when we design sustainable building, we look at what the client needs and their program, number one. We look at the bigger picture first, which is the uh, micro level of the building, the planning and the overall building uh, locality and so on. Before we even get into the building, which is uh, we're looking at normally the passive or active design element for sustainable. Passive means what the architect will do, how we place the building facing the right direction, uh, the entrance of the building, where the park's going to be, where the parks are around the site, how it, you know, it faces the park, how it reacts to the neighbourhood from the macro level. Then from the inside of the building, we look at, the, uh, of course, the sun orientation, where the sun's going to hit the building, whereby that part normally will use a better glass or, if possible, we use a more solid area to avoid the heat gain inside the building. 
And then uh, that's one example of the uh, passive architectural design. Of course, active, there'll be a lot more, which is the M&E, is what the technology provides for you to infuse inside the building design to make it sustainable. If we look at Kuala Lumpur, there's a lot of eyes setting on Merdeka 118 Tower. So what are the sustainable features that make this tower so green? Well, being the second tallest building in the world now, you know, officially it is, I think it's such a feat to do this building. And Merdeka 118 has actually not less than eight. You know, in fact, it's a lot more than that in terms of features that has been incorporated in it. Firstly, I think is uh, because the building is, has to be large because very such a tall tower to make it more efficient, the footprint must be big. But because it's big, sometimes you have this problem of the interior of the building not getting natural sunlight because it's too far f- from the glass wall outside. So one of the things that have been done, if you notice the K118, the building is faceted, in which case when you have a building that's faceted, it tends to be thinner, allowing the natural light to penetrate and reach the interior of the building. That's one of the things. Second of all, the glass itself is actually triple glazing. Two layers of glass on the outside, and then there's an airspace and one layer of glass on the inside. Now, you can imagine the amount of heat that's going to be generated inside the building through the heat gain if you don't have a quality glass to block, the, uh, to avoid this heat gain. And then number three, there's also a district cooling plant in this whole Mandeka 108 uh, master plan. They all are relying on district cooling plant where it's actually centralised and it's more efficient to do it that way. Then there's also air recycling system for the basement. What we do is the air from the basement parking, which tends to be stuffy, we actually, instead of just letting it out on the environment, the air is actually funneled to cool the cooling towers. And the cooling towers, which you normally see fan in all buildings, this is actually a fanless cooling towers, which is actually an interesting fact also. So the air is being drawn from the basement to cool the cooling towers for the air conditioning. And then we also have the grey water system, whereby we use back the water that's been being used in the building and recycle it to use for other purposes, for the landscape, for toilets and things like that. And also the uh, photovoltaic. We have photovoltaic on the south canopy to generate electricity. And then on the rooftop, of course, we have a huge, what we call as a thermal solar panel that is actually to be used in the hotel. Their hot water will, normally, will essentially come from the roof itself. And lastly, the tower practices site-wide material recycling, meaning the wastage from the site, whatever that's a site, most of the uh, building materials and so on is being reused back for the construction of the building. It's not all gone to waste, not all taken out from the site. So, Rosland, for a normal layperson like me, when it comes to green building certifications, what does a triple green platinum rating mean? By definition, triple green platinum rating means that a particular building has achieved a platinum rating, which is the highest level of ratings. is level rating for a green building, not from one, but from three certification bodies. Yeah? So that's what it means by triple rating. In the case of Merdeka 118, it's earmarked now to re- receive platinum rating from Malaysian Green Building, GBI, and Green RE, which is a Malaysian uh, certification body, and also from LEED, which is uh, the international and international body. What does that mean to a layman? It means the occupants will get a better energy utilisation with no 
or very minimal wastage, and they will be living or working in an, a better and improved environment compared to a building which is not green. So there's been a lot of buzz surrounding Medeca 118, making it a landmark icon for tourists and daredevil bloggers taking selfies and videos. But what are all the interesting and unique features of Medeca 118? Well, first of all, I think let's look at the location. The tower itself is located at the fringe of Chinatown, and we're all so used to Chinatown. By having these towers here that used to be uh, the stadium, uh, often not being used before, it actually will be a catalyst for the urban and economic growth in the area. It's more of a place-making building in that area. So it will help to spur more activities within this area. Now, apart from that, other than the green building, the features will be one will be able to go to the top of the building to level 115 or 116 via uh, like a bubble lift, glass lift on the exterior of the building, not on the interior, on the exterior of the building. So you can imagine you're going 116 stories on the facade of the building and going up, you see Kuala Lumpur from the ground level to the horizon level until you reach the really bird's eye, more like an eagle's eye level on the very top. That's one. There will also be an edge a walk on top uh, whereby you'll be able to get out from the building on the very top and walk around the building, of course, with a harness, uh, with a high wind up there, that will be actually a, a feat, an interesting uh, adventure for the user. Unlike some of the tall buildings, Medeca 108 will have people's place on top, a viewing deck and activities for the people that visit the building, you know. So this is, will give an opportunity to see the whole KL at a new height for many, many uh, people in there. Well, hopefully we get some blockbuster movies, whether it's you know, made in Malaysia or Hollywood, to give the building its fair share of airtime. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That would be good. On the property show this morning is architects Hood Bakar and Roslan Razak of RSP Architects Kuala Lumpur. When we come back from the break, we look at green building feasibility, the new EPF headquarters and urban planning and renewal. This is BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Property Show, where we have architects Hood Baka and Roslan Razak of RSP Architects Kuala Lumpur. Before the break, we look at sustainable architecture, Medeca 118 and green ratings. So gentlemen, we have talked a lot on Medeca 118 in Kuala Lumpur. So let's turn our attention to another green building, but over Salango. As a recipient of Green RE Platinum Certification, what are the salient sustainable features of the new EPF headquarters in Kuala Damansara? For the EPF headquarters in Kuasa Damansara, since it's seated in a new township of Kuasa Damansara, it was dictated by the Sustainable Development Goals of Kuasa Damansara as a whole. For that, there are five main items I will touch in regards to the design of that building. One is sustainable cities and communities. EPF headquarters is to be part of the new township, like I said, township of Kuasa Damansara. And um, the building is designed to sit within a very uh, green park environment, uh, which are very pedestrian and bicycle friendly. And is very well connected to the public transportation system. And in this case, it's related, connected to the Kuasa Damansara MRT station. Uh, two, affordable energy, clean energy. The building um, has a photovoltaic solar panels installed on the roof. Panels generate clean energy thought and utilised to power the building server and other equipments in the building. For energy efficiency, uh, the building facade employed double glazing system, which optimised the air conditioning system and consumption while allowing natural light into the building. 
Three, promoting good health and well-being. The office is designed like a campus, you know, with facilities not only to promote good working condition, but also a balanced lifestyle. The office receive, office spaces receive plenty of natural lights internally and uh, are provided with breakout spaces for activities such as ping pong table, football and lounges for the staff. There are also outdoor spaces like courtyard and open sky bridges where outdoor functions can be held. Four, it use clean water and sanitation. Building is designed to collect rainwater through the rainwater harvesting system. And the water is used mainly for landscape watering and partially for the toilet flushing system. And lastly, responsible consumption and production. It is important the green practices are implemented even during uh, the construction stage. So we make sure that it is implemented. And the project specified the use of green concrete and waste recycling practices are implemented and monitored. And for the material use, all have to be green label certified. Now, Rosalind, in your line of work, how does the architect balance between the cost of sustainable technology and materials against the actual budget of design and construction, which usually, of course, is set by the client? Okay, this is a question that's been asked a lot often to the architect. At our office, RSPKL, we always strive to accomplish design intent and fulfill the required function to meet the aesthetic needs. At the same time, we have to manage cost efficiency in order for project to move. To balance it, we will have to understand the client brief and needs and what are their goals. We have to design with all the parameters in mind, keeping in check with how sustainable technology can, can be employed and what particular material need to be selected in making a very conscious design decision. For the example of uh, EPFHQ, we could design a straightforward cube building that could house its total number of staff and that would satisfy the brief, but instead we crafted and shaped the cube to enable the building to achieve the sustainable features I have spoken earlier in order to meet the user's goals all within a manageable budget. Now, Hart, earlier on you were talking about the fact that green building index does cost a little bit more money upfront to develop. Yes. So, in your experience so far, are Malaysian talents willing to pay the premium for new green building offices? I think, in all honesty, more and more will pay for this additional, slightly additional cost. Because while you may see a bit of additional cost up front, like we mentioned, the running of it, the maintenance of it will be much, much less. Plus, most corporations nowadays are more sensitive to green and climate change issues. Issues such as environmental, social and governance, issues such as sustainable development goals. These are all becoming more important. And why not? Apart from reducing the running costs, it will also reduce the carbon footprint. You know, and being, a, I guess, a responsible uh, uh, creature of the earth, I suppose. You know, it's also good that we, we pay attention to this. And mind you also, there are a lot of overseas international companies, corporations, that will only rent a building that is green. Otherwise, it is in their company policies that they won't go into a building that's not green. So I think developers and owners know about this. And in order to, to attract this cooperation internationally, I think this is a good thing for us to do. You mentioned about carbon footprint. So, Rosalind, what is the carbon footprint generated from the construction and development of all these mega towers we see coming up in Klang Valley? As a general indication, a mega tower generally generates around 170,000 metric tons of carbon footprint annually. But with sustainable measures 
it can be reduced up to 20 to 60% per year. In the case of Merdeka 118, for example, it is expected that the carbon footprint will be reduced up to 62% per year, which is relatively quite good. So we talk about carbon footprint. What's the payback period for the carbon footprint? Because when you build a new building, you obviously generate a lot of carbon footprint. But you're saying in the longer term, you save on carbon footprint, right? So where do we see the apex of this uh, ROI coming in? I think uh, it depends on the aspiration of the client and the building owners. The uh, sustainable ratings has either platinum, gold or silver or just basic certified. So depending how much you want to spend, your aspiration as a company, then the payback will also depend on the cost. So the, generally, I think, the payback you start to see after about maybe seven years plus or minus. But as the time passed by, if you spend more, let's say, from platinum, then you start to see more rapid return after that because the savings you get is a lot more than just basic certified just now, if you know what I mean. Right. So there is already a severe oversupply of office space in Kale, and building more mega towers in the Golden Triangle or other congested city centres just adds to congestion. Shouldn't we be paying more attention to urban planning and transport infrastructure before approving new mega projects? Okay, I think uh, that is a very valid question. I think congestion is not just about buildings. I mean, we look at other cities around the world, New York, for instance, how dense it is, Tokyo it is, how dense it is. You know, yes, they have, they got more people per square foot, per square meter than us. London is another example. Yeah? However, the, the traffic, some of them are much more controllable than us. Why? It's not about, I think, the, the, the building, the square footage, the building. It's also, like you mentioned, is how the public transportation fare in that particular city. I think our city can do a lot more by having a better transportation system in the public sector. Not just train, but taking also, we're also talking about bus, taxis, grabs, and things like that. That will encourage, and also walkways, natural walkways. And the new thing now is bicycle. You know, we should be building a lot more of this basic infrastructure where people like to, rather than drive, and pay for the cars, they rather take the public transportation or just walk from one building to another if it's comfortable. So congestion is not just about building. We cannot stop building because if you stop building, we are actually preventing people from coming to the city and work in the city. Uh, and mind you, progress of a city is also the people that works in it. So it's how we deal the congestion. It's not by stopping the building in that sense. Right. So I think we're also talking a little bit in terms of urban renewal projects of buildings. So, Rosalind, given this situation, should we be more aggressive in converting existing old brown buildings to new green buildings? Yes, I think we should. We need to move into that direction now. In Kuala Lumpur, the early tall buildings were mostly built in the 80s. And I believe it is now beneficial for us to retrofit this building so that they become more energy efficient, well, not only for the building, but also for the whole city. I believe there is a, currently there is a health, healthy understanding amongst the architects, but also among stakeholders and the potential of retrofitting old buildings. But at this point, it's still in a much larger scale, but we hope that you know, we can go into a bigger scale. Um, we should, for example, look at the success of New York's Empire State Building Green Retrofit or the refit program which is launched in the UK, in London, to assist in green retrofitting of uh, old buildings. 
London public buildings. In Malaysia, we have uh, the sufficient experts among our local consultants and builders, and there is no reason why we cannot do it. All right. Gentlemen, Budget 2024 is around the corner. What budgets, programs or incentives would you like to see from the government to boost your industry and sector? <laughs> Interesting question. I think from us being the building industry, yeah. let me start by saying this. I think for the architects, I think uh, um, we would wish that the government give a bit more emphasis on the building industry consultant, i.e. a simple example, if there is a project that's being done by the uh, by the government or government involvement or GLC government involvement outside the country, I would think that it would be best if the government will use the local talent, uh, whether it's architects, engineers or whatnot, and bring them to overseas and expose them. Uh, at the same time, help them to market their services outside the country because it's not easy to penetrate the, the international market. It's easier if the government is already there. Why not? bring our own people to expose ourselves. Then on the construction industry, I would wish that the level of skill and training for the construction industry people, the workers, will be put a bit more emphasis so that we'll be building more quality building and more efficient building in that sense. Aside from the the budget that you were saying, um, recently also the government has launched our energy transformation plan, which I think is a very good move. Maybe, you know, we would like to see the coming budget to tap into this so that more incentives are given for green architecture, for building to be green, sustainable and more efficient, I think. Right. Hood and Roslan, thank you very much for your time and insights. On the property show was architects Hood Baka and Roslan Razak of RSP Architects Kuala Lumpur. This is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.